Hi, it's Ariana. Hi, it's Greg. As a listener to Climate One, we know you care about how climate disruption is affecting all of us now and into the future. I'm guessing you already do several things in the spirit of climate action. Here's another one. Giving a donation to us to continue bringing you shows about the causes and solutions to the climate crisis. You can do that at climateone.org donate. We offer all our podcasts and radio shows for free, but it takes time, effort, and resources to produce new episodes every week. When you give, you help us pay for the talented staff, equipment, and materials we need to make the show. And you'll join a group of other dedicated funders and community supporters who keep Climate One on the air. If you're inspired by the guests and conversations we curate, please consider making a gift today at climateone.org slash donate. Thank you for your support, and thanks for listening. This is Climate One, changing the conversation about energy, economy, and the environment. Today, we hear from the mayors of three cities that are coping with the environmental and economic fallout caused by extreme weather events. 80% of the city was without electricity after Irma. You know, on day nine, it gets real. You know, I mean, it's like, it's like the program Walking Dead. That's Miami Mayor Francis Suarez. U.S. cities were pummeled by hurricanes, floods, and fires last year. As federal disaster funding is stretched to the limit, cities are left to pick up the slack. But Houston Mayor Sylvester Turner has a message for Congress. Don't just provide us with enough funding to put us back where we were prior to Harvey. What we are needing now is funding to build a much more resilient city because there will be another storm. Climate change is real. Weathering the storm, the mayors of Houston, Miami, and Columbia. Up next on Climate One. Climate change is wreaking havoc on our cities. How can they fight back? Welcome to Climate One, changing the conversation about America's energy, economy, and environment. Climate One conversations with oil companies and environmentalists, Republicans and Democrats, are recorded before a live audience and hosted by Greg Dalton. Two thousand seventeen brought a raft of extreme and extremely expensive weather disasters, including hurricanes Harvey, Irma, and Maria. And they're just the ones with names. We also saw floods, fires, and drought throughout the entire country. On today's show, we'll hear what some of those cities are doing to recover, rebuild, and prepare for the next megastorm. Our guests are mayors of three cities on the front lines of the new economic and environmental normal. Steve Benjamin is mayor of Columbia, South Carolina. In 2015, historic floods hit the Columbia area, killing 19 people and causing more than a billion dollars in damage. Francis Suarez is the newly elected mayor of Miami. He took office in the aftermath of Hurricane Irma, which devastated South Florida and caused more than 100 deaths. Houston Mayor Sylvester Turner was in the national spotlight when Hurricane Harvey dumped an unprecedented 50 inches of rain on the city. Here's our conversation about steering America's cities into the future. Mayor Turner, let's begin on August 25th, Uh, 2017, mm -hmm. when a megastorm is making landfall in Texas. You're facing decisions, evacuate or not. You have to be thinking about the ghost of Katrina. So take us back to that day and what you were thinking about and, and what, yeah, just where you were on that day. Uh, on August 25th, I was at the, uh, uh, the HEC Center, our emergency center, uh, command post. In fact, uh, we were watching the, monitoring the storm very, very closely. Uh, a couple of days before, we didn't quite know where it was going to hit. Uh, and then they informed us that uh, it was going to hit not uh, along the Houston area, but uh, further further down uh, south. Uh, and it was not going to be the hurricane hitting Houston-Harris County area. It was going to be a water event for us. A lot of rain, but didn't really anticipate how much. Um, it was no time to, to try to evacuate anyone 
when we uh, the city did evacuate back in 2005. Um, number one, if you're going to evacuate, you've, you've got to, there's a lot of preparation that you have to take into a place. You've got to make sure that there's adequate fuel supply along the evacuation routes. When we did it in 2005, about 120 people died on the freeway because the freeways were like parking lots. You literally could go and get you a hamburger, come back, and you were still in, in the same place. Uh, so we decided to uh, just keep people in place. Uh, but to have some pre-positioned shelters just in case we needed them. Um, on Friday, the storm hit, the hurricane landed by 10 p.m. On Friday, things were good in Houston, Harris County. On Saturday, things were still pretty good. Uh, on Sunday, at about 5 p.m., um, the National Weather Report indicated to us that there were three bands coming in, and each one of those bands would carry anywhere between seven to nine inches of rain. That's when we knew things were going to get bad. And so um, it was at that point in time we started getting people out of the low-lying areas and getting them into shelters. The first band came through. They were right, seven to nine inches. Second band came through, another seven to nine. The third band came through, and that's when water came out of all of the bayous, and that's where the heavy flooding took place. And w were you thinking about climate at that time, or you didn't have time to think about why? You're just thinking about, boy, we got to deal with this water and these people. Was there a climate connection to it at that? Well, point? that's that's been yeah, that was a climate connection. Just didn't start there. I mean, you know, anybody who's been keeping up with any, all of this knows that we have a client problem. You know, uh, it's real. The science is real. So it didn't just become real on August the 25th. It was real before. <laughs> um, bear in mind, in the city of Houston, uh, we flooded in, um, in 2015. It was the Memorial Day flood. And then on um, August, uh, on April the 17th of 2016. Flood day. Um, on tax, it was the tax day flood. And, uh, and then this one here on August 25th, of course, was Harvey. And um, more rain fell on the city of Houston and the region than on any other city at any point in time in United States history. Uh, and it ended up being the second most costly a storm, natural disaster for the, for, the, for the country. Yeah, it's tied with Katrina, I read. Right. Yeah, uh, Mayor Suarez, you came into office uh, uh, in November, and in, in your victory speech the night you won election, you talked about jobs, transit, crime, housing, and climate. I don't think many mayors mention climate in their victory speech. Yeah, you know, we are ground zero for uh, resiliency and, and climatic events that affect our quality of life. And I think um, what we're seeing is other parts of the world and other parts of the of the country are using that as sort of a counter brand against the city of Miami. And so they're saying, you know, yeah, the city's great, the low taxes, whatever, but don't go there because you're going to be underwater. And so as mayor uh, and, and as a father, you know, I have a four-year-old and, and a baby girl that's on the way, you know, certainly um, it's a concern that, it, you know, that it's going to impact our, our on, uh, impacts us on the short term and impacts us in the medium term. And certainly, of course, you wonder and you worry about the existential threats uh, to the long-term viability of the city. So, um, you know, for me, um, I, I felt and, and I sort of we passed um, right in my election a what, what they what they call the Miami forever bond, mm -hmm. which was in part a resiliency bond where we are. Our voters did something very unusual. They voted to tax themselves because the, the issue is so acute and it's so macro that, um, you know, they voted to create two hundred million dollars of resources for us to begin meaningfully. Uh, dealing with our climatic events, which include a range of things from uh, king tide flooding to tidal surge during hurricanes uh, to annual rainfall that is significantly greater than uh, what we've experienced and w or what we have a capacity to experience. So um, I, I don't think I think any re mayor responsibly should have made this and should make this uh, a major priority, particularly if you're the mayor of Miami. Right. Mayor Benjamin, tell us how climate, is it only sort of these frontline cities that are thinking about climate change, Miami, Houston? You know, as we look around the country, where does climate rank in terms of traditional concerns for mayors, potholes, jobs, housing? It ranks very high. Uh, climate Mayor's Caucus, uh, well over 300 mayors signed up. Uh, we are, I'm, I'm also uh, helping lead as one of the co-chairs with the mayor of Salt Lake City, the mayor of San Diego. And uh, and Mayor Suarez is a former uh, neighbor, the former mayor of, of Miami Beach, uh, uh, Philip Levine, 
uh, mayors for 100% clean energy, those of us who are committed uh, uh, to be ready for 100 by 2036. I see the, I see the crews here uh, with us here uh, tonight, but making commitment to clean and renewable energy. Uh, 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 we've been joined by 200 of our colleagues all across the country who recognize, you know, the, the reality what you hear Mayors Turner and Suarez is that um, Washington, D.C. May, may dilly-dally uh, at times, and some of that, some of that dysfunction is due to state government uh, um, policymaking or the lack of policymaking. Uh, but mayors have to get the job done every single day, uh, and that's, that's regardless of party. Uh, regardless of geography, in my city, our council voted unanimously. We vote unanimously on almost nothing, I might add. <laughs> unanimously uh, to, to invest in, uh, in stormwater, new stormwater infrastructure, $100 million, uh, to address our top uh, problem areas in, in, in our city. Um, uh, we're going to issue our very first green bond uh, you know, in the heart of the, of the Old South, uh, a, a deep red state. So w w mayors are working um, across party lines, arm in arm, to try and, and deliver solutions in, in, in trying to put some of these major challenges in people speak every single day. And I will tell you that our, our, our citizens are a lot smarter than people think they are, a lot more engaged, and certainly care a great deal more about preserving the earth that we've inherited, but as uh, Mayor Suarez mentioned, uh, protecting it for, for our, our children uh, yet to be here. So 2017 was the most expensive uh, year in U.S. history in terms of major events driven by climate change. Former New Jersey Governor Christine Todd Whitman joined me on stage, and she said that cities and states may not be able to rely on the federal government for disaster relief funds. Uncle Sam is out of money, and we have a federal deficit that we're going out of sight. Uh, so we are already in that position. I mean, we do have to start looking at our priorities again and assessing where it is we'd want to spend money, what are the things for which the federal government is responsible, what's going to fall solely on the states, and what's going to be up to the individual uh, and local government and the individual. But uh, as far as when do we run out of money, we're there. That's former New Jersey governor and former EPA chief under President George W. Bush, Christine Todd Whitman. Mayor Turner, Texas still wants, I think, $61 billion from the federal government for, to rebuild after Hurricane Harvey. What's the status of that? And what do you, your comment to Governor Whitman saying, Uncle Sam's not going to keep writing these big checks? Well, it, it, to keep from writing big checks, it's important for cities to be uh, built stronger and more resilient. Otherwise, whatever funding you get, you're providing funding for failure. Um, there's no question. Right now, what the Senate passed out a package of $89 billion, but I think that's for California, Texas, Florida, Puerto Rico, and, and the Virgin Islands. So that's not nearly enough uh, when you divide it up. Uh, let me just say for, for us, and what I've said to people in Congress, is that uh, it's imp don't just provide us with enough funding to put us uh, back where we were prior to Harvey. What we are needing now is, is funding to, to build a much more resilient city because there will be another storm, okay? Climate change is real. We faced a 500 flood in 15, 16, and 17. So there will be another storm. What we are needing now is to make sure that our city is more resilient. Uh, we are built on the Bayou City, and so um, we have to provide um, more capacity on our bayous. We have to put more uh, detention basins in, in place. Uh, there's a need for, for example, a third reservoir in, certain, in parts of Houston. If the hurricane had hit Galveston Bay and there had been a huge storm surge, then that water would have come back up into the city of Houston, and it would have been, it would have been horrific. Uh, the Port of Houston, for example, is not just important to the city of Houston or the state of Texas, but it's important to the country as a whole. You know, a large percentage of the fuel uh, that's refined and come out of the port uh, supplies areas throughout the country. So it's important. So we've, and we are advocating for what we call the coastal spine, something that they put in the Netherlands that will help to prevent the storm surge. It is a huge cost. It's about a $12 billion item. But assume that the storm hurricane had hit Galveston Bay, it would have been exponentially more. And so if they simply provide enough funding to put us back where we were prior to Hurricane Harvey, then you're providing funding for failure. Well, if, one example, there's a multifamily unit that's built on the bayou. Um, it caters to low-income tenants. It flooded in 15. The owners went to HUD. They got funding. It was rebuilt. It flooded in 16. Owners went to HUD. It was rebuilt. It flooded in 17. They are going to HUD. 
and I've put a tag on it saying it makes no sense uh, to um, uh, provide funding that benefits these, um, this developer when it's this, it's, you're serving low-income tenants. They are the ones who are displaced, but the, the owner of it is not losing out anything. So that's funding for failure. Uh, so there are things that need to take place uh, to make us more resilient. And I don't want to necessarily hear all the language about you running out of money. Uh, what did they just do a couple of months ago? Uh, <laughs> Added $1.5 uh, trillion to, to, to the to national, national debt. debt. But I think if you, if you recognize that the climate is changing, so on the Houston level, locally, what, what are we doing? Houston purchases more solar power um, than any city in the country. Um, we are going to meet that goal of 100% on renewables. We're looking at additional. We're looking at um, additional ways, more parks and green space. All of those things are critically important uh, that would have a significant impact. I've said to developers, we are not going to continue building in the city like we've done before. Uh, that's, this is a new day. And so doing the same thing and not expecting people to flood makes no sense. So we are changing that. And we'll have a serious debate on that before the month is over. But the federal government has a role to play. You stop the cities. You stop the country. Amen. I spoke with Rolling Stone contributor editor uh, Jeff Goodell about the financial impact sea level rise will have on communities in danger zones. The thing about sea level rise is it doesn't have to be gargantuan to have enormous problems with um, beaches washing away, with uh, roads eroding, the, the costs for communities to deal with this, uh, property values declining at exactly the time when they need to spend more money on adaptation, the economic kind of spot downward spiral that can be caused by even modest amounts of sea level rise is hugely consequential and will begin to play out long before these big numbers get hit. I mean, even in the next few decades. Uh, even now, we're seeing it in, in places in Florida where, you know, they're spending, instead of $10 million every two years to replenish the beaches, they're spending $50 million. And, you know, where's that money coming from? That's author of the book called The Water Will Come, uh, Jeff Goodell from Rolling Stone. So, Mayor Suarez, you mentioned, <clears throat> excuse me, that Miami residents have tax themselves for 200, I thought it was 400. That's still a drop in the bucket. Where's the more money gonna come from to replenish the beaches? And as Jeff Goodell said, when property prices start to go down, that hurts your tax base just when you need it most. Sure, and uh, you know, we're already living with some of these climatic events. And so for us, it's not about a debate as to whether sea level rise is a true or, or not true phenomenon or or to what is what extent it's gonna affect us. We have a very porous, um, uh, subsoil. Uh, so we have water that, that percolates upward in dry uh, king tide flooding. So a, a levee is not an option for you. A, a seawall is not an option for you. So a seawall alone is not an option. I, I think, you know, what happened in, in, in Miami Beach uh, did a, a, a fairly good job, but I think they did it under what I call sustainability 1.0. We're, we're sort of learning from Miami Beach. They, they did some things that we think are replicable and some things that we think uh, were mistakes. And so, um, uh, you know, you have to learn from that. Um, I think uh, everything in life and dealing with a problem, a macro problem such as this, happens in phases. So we were, were blessed to get from the legislature a little over a million dollars to update our stormwater master plan to take into account sea level rise. That was sort of the first thing that we did. And then we got our residents. It was a $400 million package, but it was, a f it was not all dedicated to resiliency. It was 200 for resiliency, okay. 100 for affordable housing, and 100 for uh, cultural facilities, which are part of of, of really the resiliency concept is not just a climatic concept. It's a concept of, of, of having a city that is more resilient to all kinds of shocks. You know, one of the things that we saw during uh, Hurricane Irma was just how fragile our electrical grid was. And I mean, obviously, you know, when you see what's going on in Puerto Rico, um, you know, where, where they have, you know, been without electricity for months, the city of Miami, 80% of the city was without electricity after Irma. And it took... Uh, about 12 days for us to get back to about 90, 95%. But, you know, on day nine, it gets real. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, it's right. like the program right. Walking right. Dead. I mean, it's, it's really, really, um, people are at each other. Right. Um, you know, by that point, food has spoiled. 
if you don't have a, a generator and, and a lot of our poor areas don't, you know, people don't have generators. I mean, I gave my generator away to a public housing project where um, th they relied on electricity to power their wheelchairs to get to the third floor apartment. So, um, you know, f uh, for us, we're dealing with these phenomenon, but I do agree that $200 million is a starting point. And I think, um, uh, you know, when, when we start analyzing this problem in a way that is um, uh, reflective of the fact that other cities have begun uh, uh, trying to address this issue, we realize that um, it's a much more pervasive and comprehensive problem, which is going to require much more um, much more comprehensive solutions. We, uh, after Hurricane Andrew, I, I always say, you know, we became, we gave the world the gift of wind resiliency after Hurricane Andrew. Hurricane Andrew had sustained winds in excess of 200 miles an hour. And we changed our building codes and all our buildings built post Andrew can sustain, you know, incredible uh, wind loads. Uh, but our new challenge is, is, is to be the most water resilient uh, city on the planet. And I think, uh, you know, post Irma, we saw tidal flooding or way, uh, tidal surges that went four, four and a half, five, six blocks in with three and a half foot of flooding. Now, the good news was that a lot of that water receded fairly quickly, um, but it, it still highlights uh, uh, how um, dramatic the problem can be and how much damage it can cause to your city. That's Miami Mayor Francis Suarez. You're listening to a Climate One conversation about how America's cities are facing up to climate change. Coming up, getting past the politics. And we have to keep pushing because some of the dysfunction that we're seeing in Washington is really seeping down in our state government. We continue now with Climate One. Greg Dalton is talking with three mayors who are steering their cities through stormy waters following a year of extreme weather. His guests are Steve Benjamin, mayor of Columbia, South Carolina, Sylvester Turner, mayor of Houston, Texas, and Francis Suarez, mayor of Miami, Florida. So, Mayor Benjamin, let's talk about the the political level of this. You know, how does the, the conversation that happens, you know, in in your city compare with with statewide? It wasn't your state, but it was a state <coughs> nearby that tried to outlaw climate change famously once. So how, how does this trickle up to the state level? Well, um, every state's <laughs> obviously different. Uh, <laughs> I, I'll tell you that, it, it's fantastic when you sit here and, and you and you listen to these two men. And I'll tell you, it's it's consistent across the country, and you talk about these major issues, uh, you don't know if you're talking to a Republican or a Democrat. Because right. mm -hmm. mayors are just about solving the problem. That, that's what we do. We, 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 we solve problems. Uh, we solve them differently in 2018 than we might have 20 years ago. But what you hear here is you hear depth of experience from experienced state policymakers and local policymakers who are just about getting the job done. 85% of all the people in this country live in cities and metropolitan economies. 89% uh, of all jobs. 91% of America's uh, nearly $20 trillion GDP is created in cities and metropolitan economies. Mayor Turner boasts a, a GDP larger than that of the country of Sweden. Uh, 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 Francis Suarez, uh, Miami has a, a larger GDP than Hong Kong. Okay, I mean, I mean, we're, we're talking about, uh, about the mayors that we have out here this week mm -hmm. interfacing with the tech community uh, represent 10% of America's GDP. I mean, I mean, uh, in, in, in one room. So when, you, so when we go to Washington, that was a long way of saying, when we go to Washington and we're talking about repatriating tax dollars back home, because that's what we're talking about. This, this is not going to Washington asking for money to come back to save Houston. Houston sent that money to Washington. Uh, we're not talking about uh, asking Tallahassee to send money back to Miami. Miami is driving the Florida economy. I mean, so uh, we're talking about how do you make smart investments. And now while we're out here, we're talking about how do you, how do you invest in true urban resilience that helps us 
uh, res respond to and, 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 and recover from, but even more importantly, how do we start using some of these inc this incredible focus on, I mean, this, we, we're in this, in this bubble in Northern California right here. We're talking about the ability to use real, real data and predictive analytics and, 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 and just, just the, 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 the advent of AI. What can we start doing together to help us all make smarter strategic <clears throat> investments on the front end? Uh, to help prepare for and respond to these things on, on the back end. But it's important to note that the resources, uh, as I had to tell a, a, a senator from another southern state uh, just a few months ago, the money is not falling from Washington, D.C. like manna from heaven. It got there because our taxpayers sent it there. Right. Uh, and and, and we want it to come back home. And, uh, um, and, they're using the, and they're using the way that it's smart. But, 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 but this dialogue is happening with mayors all across the country of all stripes, uh, uh, all shapes and sizes, partisan backgrounds, and, 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 and we have to keep pushing because some of the dysfunction that we're seeing in Washington, some of the bad policy making, is really seeping down in our state governments. And, but when you have events like this, regrettably, when you have events like, like we all have had, it starts pushing some people in, in our state capitals, and, our, and our, our city hall is four blocks from our state capital. They start thinking a little, a little more wisely because obviously their constituents, our, our mutual constituents, are feeling the pain and they're, and they're pressing them to make better policy. Let's ask that, uh, Mayor Suarez. Rick Scott, you know, uh, known to doubt climate science, uh, uh, you know, apparently said it, you know, didn't want the word mentioned in state uh, official documents. What kind of movement has there been among the Republican uh, delegation in Tallahassee or in Washington on climate after Irma? You know, uh, from my perspective, I was sort of pleasantly surprised that, that the Republican legislature did fund uh, our, our, uh, our upgrade to our stormwater master plan and that it survived the veto. Plan. <coughs> I was uh, frankly a little shocked, uh, pleasantly shocked. Uh, but but it, it allowed us to begin the planning process of how do we spend these dollars in a way that is is the best expenditure, because obviously we have a fiduciary duty also to our residents to make sure um, that we that we spend dollars effectively and efficiently to deal with and address uh, these issues, um, but but as 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 Mayor Benjamin was saying, you know, I, we just don't have the luxury of looking right. at the world that way. You know, for us, uh, it's really problem solution, and and so my responsibility as a mayor is to go up and educate the state legislature or the governor, whomever the governor or legislators are, and tell them these are our problems. We are major tax generators and we deserve uh, uh, an investment. And I, and I think the other thing is that a lot of these climatic issues are changing the conversation because it's an economic conversation. And I think once you make it an economic conversation, I think you, depolit you depoliticize it a little bit, you, you departyize it a little bit, and you make it about return on investment, you make it about what are the risks, the economic risks involved. Um, when we're uh, growing at, at the level that we're growing, we're talking about a billion dollars of new real estate a year for the last mm -hmm. few years. So that is, I mean, that's the exposure on that kind of, uh, on that kind of, those kinds of assets. Um, you know, should should worry any conscientious elected official. Uh, yeah, Mayor Turner, you came from the state legislature in Texas. You know, how has has Harvey changed the conversation? Greg Abbott, the, the governor of Texas, not particularly inclined to talk about climate change. Did, did you just you talk about it in different language, as Mayor Suarez was saying? Uh, I don't know if we talk about it in different languages. I think uh, climate change has a way of making things better. Um, uh, bipartisan and what I mean by that uh, when it when it when we flooded in 2015 there were certain geographical areas that were flooded primarily in your the poor areas uh, the tax day flood on April 17th of 2016 uh, same about the same um, and so there were other areas were still high and dry but Harvey said uh, let me be indiscriminate. And so when Harvey came and 51 inches of rain fell, if you were in poor neighborhoods, uh, you were already on the margins, you got pressed down, you flooded. If you were in the affluent communities, 
you really flooded. Sugarland too, yeah. So from from the northwest to the northeast side of town, you flooded. It didn't say you are a Republican neighborhood, so we're going to bypass you. <laughs> exactly. Um, it 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 came it came down, and so now you have all of these families and all of these neighborhoods that have been adversely affected, and they don't want to flood again. And, and then you want the city to continue to grow. You want people to continue to be proud of where they live. live. Mm -hmm. You want people to come. We are the energy, Houston is the energy capital of the world. A lot of oil and gas companies. But at the same time, uh, you have a lot of oil and gas companies in the city of Houston that recognize that we need to focus now on renewables, uh, that we need to do some other things to be more resilient because we still want people to come and be a part of our city. Um, and that's a good thing. So uh, from my vantage point, what I say to what I say to people and to the, you know, yes, city of Houston is a blue city. Um, but if you take the blue city out of the red state, then you come to a standstill. And we have to we have to focus on results. It's all about results and meeting people's needs. So I think the reality is because of Harvey and so many, on so many levels, um, people recognize that you cannot ignore things any longer. Their constituents are not going to allow them to ignore things. And we have to build a much more resilient city. And if they don't help us to build a more resilient city, it's their constituents that's going to hold them accountable for that. I spoke to a, a president, former president of an energy company based in Houston, very large, who did not vote for you, but said he probably will next time because of the way you've handled uh, All right. Harvey. Um, we're going to go to our lightning round, and this is where... Um, <laughs> Spanish. Time for our lightning round, a series of short questions with shorter answers. And the first round, it's association. I'll mention a name or a person and just get your first reaction unfiltered with complete disregard for oh, what people might uh, think about. So first for uh, uh, Steve Benjamin, the first thing that comes to mind when I say Florida Governor Rick Scott. Francis's problem. <laughs> So glad, I didn't get that. so glad I didn't get that question. So like that. that. Mayor Tr <laughs> <laughs> Mayor, Tr <laughs> Mayor Turner, uh, South Carolina Governor Henry McMaster. Oh, that's Mayor Benjamin's problem. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Mayor Suarez, EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt. Never heard of him. <laughs> Mayor Turner, Energy Secretary Rick Perry, former governor of Texas. <laughs> former governor. Uh, Mayor, <laughs> Mayor Benjamin, dreamers. Make America great. Mayor Suarez, Muslim ban. Terrible. Mayor Turner, offshore oil drilling. Not good for the future. All right. <laughs> okay, this is... Um, this is a yes or no portion for our three mayors. Uh, Mayor Benjamin, yes or no, coal is dying a slow death. Uh, yes. Mayor Suarez, uh, you support efforts by uh, New York and other big cities to divest from fossil fuel companies. Absolutely. Uh, Mayor Turner, you support divestment from fossil fuel companies. Yes. Uh, by the way, I think coal is dying a fast death, not a slow death. <laughs> Tough for those um, the companies, for sure. It's tough for those workers. Um, yeah. Mayor, Mayor Suarez, uh, yes or no, climate change is a moral issue. It is a moral issue. Uh, Mayor Turner, yes or no, the Texas legislature is famous for not doing much. <laughs> oh. Oh. Wow. How much time? I'll, I'll, I'll take that answer for him. He, uh, <laughs> he, he can either confirm or deny. No, uh, well, it's gotten a lot less productive since he left. I'm sure. That's right. Well, I, I mean, he mentioned that they that, they it, actually like it that way. They don't meet often. It's kind of a it's a point of pride. Let me just. It's a point of pride. That one's that one's relative. I'm okay. not, that, that's relative. Okay. okay. Um, Mayor Benjamin, <laughs> suppose a relative bequeathed you a million dollars. Would you spend it on an oceanfront condo in South Florida? Absolutely. <laughs> you couldn't get one for a million dollars. Really, right? 
Let the record reflect it. I, I don't own anything. My wife owns everything. <laughs> and I've gotten used to it. I've gotten used to it. But I, but, but I will tell you, South Florida is her happy place. By the way, he would vote for me if he did buy a condo. <laughs> I would. Uh, Mayor Suarez of Miami, would you rather have an oceanfront home in South Carolina or Texas? Um, I don't know. I, 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 I wouldn't know the difference. But, uh, they both sound like wonderful places. Uh, okay, last one for, uh, for Mayor Turner. The best place in the country to have an oceanfront home is California. False. Well, I'm here in California, of course. Yes. So you say yes. All right. Uh, let's, that ends our lightning round. Let's give them a round of applause for making through that. You're listening to a conversation with three mayors on the front lines of climate change. When we come back, how their cities are preparing for a clean energy economy. Uh, we do need to make changes. And coming from Houston, the energy capital of the world, we recognize that uh, you can't just continue to do things the same old way. You're listening to Climate One. Today, Greg Dalton is talking with Houston Mayor Sylvester Turner, Miami Mayor Francis Suarez, and Columbia, South Carolina Mayor Steve Benjamin. Let's continue with their conversation about building climate smart cities and greener economies. You're here, uh, three mayors of, of, uh, of Columbia, South Carolina, uh, Miami, and Houston, meeting with tech companies. Mayor Suarez, the future of cities is in flux right now with all this talk of autonomous cars clogging our streets. Uh, Silicon Valley wants us to think it's going to be utopia, and it's going to be wonderful, it's going to reduce pollution, and we'll have more time. How are you thinking about the future of Miami in a, in a world with robotic cars running around? I, I think that's the tip of the iceberg in terms of the disruptions that we're feeling as cities, uh, I, I do. My personal belief is that we are very, very in a very near-term future. Every car is going to be electric. I, I believe that. Um, I think most, if not all, cars will be autonomous. And I also think that a, a lot of uh, some of the problems that have plagued us for many, many years, um, the tr the solutions will be things that we don't really particularly anticipate. For example, um, we have 2.8 million people in Dade County. 2.1 million have driver's license, and they, and each person with a driver's license basically has a car on average in, in, in the city. What I think is going to happen uh, in Miami is people are going to start working either from home or from a co-working space near home. So they probably won't have to get in a car to begin with. That decongests our roads significantly. Certainly it improves our carbon footprint dramatically. But I, I think... Uh, when you consider the fact that we're, we're going to have electric vehicles, uh, I would say in the next, you know, predominantly in the next 36 to 48 months, um, and, and we're going to change the way that we uh, behave in terms of where we work. I mean, the most ubiquitous thing, every person in this room, I promise you, has the ability to teleconference from their phone. Every single person in this room. There's not one person in here that cannot do that. So I, I, to me, it, it seems almost irrational at this point that we all get up in the morning, get in a car, and drive at the same time <laughs> to a place of work. I mean, it almost seems like a very irrational decision. Um, but I, I really think that in the near future, um, we're going to radically change. And I think that's, that's only going to make cities more vibrant. I, I, I kind of agree with Major, Mayor Benjamin that, and, 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 and certainly Mayor Turner that you know, the vibrancy of cities is what's propelling this national economy. And I don't I don't see threats. I think I, I see opportunities. Mayor Turner, uh, Houston is a city built on, on sprawl, obviously energy capital, a lot of oil and right. gas there. Right. You know, is the car the future and how is Houston going to be more or less car centric um, city? That's a pretty big yeah. transformation of land use and everything else. Right. We made some choices in the 1990s that um, we are having to deal with today. In the 1990s, we decided we were going to build railway capacity, uh, and we did. And if those who are familiar with the city of Houston, the 610 loop, and then there's the Beltway, 
like a loop, and then there's the Grand Parkway. And as we have built them, they have come. And the congestion uh, is, still, is still there. What we've decided uh, now, and it's a part of climate change and flooding and everything else, is that we have to, our transportation system now has to change. Uh, and I, when I came into office in January of 2016, I said we needed a paradigm shift. And so the focus now has to be on multimodal form of transportation. We have to provide people with a lot of different options. Uh, we, have to, we have to be much more aggressive in, in whether it's light rail or BRTs or uh, you name it. We have to move in that direction. We have to design and, con and construct a city that's more walkable, pedestrian friendly. So we have to change the design on, on how we're approaching things. Uh, we just had an announcement the other day, Monday, with regards, for example, to the high-speed the bullet train going from Houston to Dallas. Right. Uh, and so we are moving forward, and construction is scheduled to start in 2019 on that. Uh, so the reality is, is that we have to make some changes, not just for transportation, but so much of transportation is, is tied to how we develop and how we deal with the issue of drainage and flooding and whether or not we're going to be a stronger and more resilient city. And, and so um, that's important. We are making, we still want people to come. We are a growing city. We want to continue to grow. But instead of sprawling, you know, we're looking at doing some other things. And, and like I said, in terms of how we're going to develop and, and build in the city, those rules are now changing as well. But Mayor Benjamin of Columbia, South Carolina, uh, density is good for uh, reducing greenhouse gases, reducing traffic. But getting to density means getting across NIMBY. We don't people don't like high rises in their neighborhoods. So how do you convince people that density is good when they don't want more people in their neighborhood? They don't want a high rise blocking their light, that sort of thing. That's a tough sell. You know, um, I think that this is one area in which mayors are, are uniquely um, able to, to dialogue with our citizens. Uh, you know, uh, I, as I visit our friends in Washington, where I know all three of us spend a great deal of time on a regular basis, uh, sometimes it seems like the, the discussions there are just removed from reality. Uh, I, I see our, our citizens in, 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 in church, and when we visit synagogue or, or mosque, I see them at the grocery store. Uh, at the traffic light, I get advice and counsel from our, uh, our, our, our citizens. The ability to, to, to talk about, about uh, uh, tough issues is, is sometimes lost, I think, on, on some of our federal representatives. I can talk to our citizens about hundreds of thousands of new jobs in, in clean energy. I can talk to them about how we help their children deal with asthma, uh, uh, the opportunity to lower their power bills by uh, dealing with solar energy. We can talk about, about, about the, the benefits of vertical development and what it means in terms of tax base that this one building, this one 300,000 square foot building downtown produces more tax revenue uh, than a 300 unit subdivision in the outskirts of town without the environmental disruption, physical disruption to build infrastructure to get there. And by the way, 63 cents of every dollar that comes in goes to the school district to help provide opportunities for kids all across our, our city. There's, a, there's an argument around urban, about urban, smart, sound, dense urban development surrounded by strong neighborhoods. And, and in cities like ours, in 15 minutes, you can be in the, in the rural hunting for bore or fishing for bass if you want to. Uh, but there's an argument to be made, but that's that's a that's a face-to-face -face conversation that, that mayors have every single day. And I think we, we tend to be uniquely qualified to have those conversations. Mayor Sylvester Turner of, of Houston, I have to admit, I was surprised when I saw that you were leading a group of mayors supporting the Paris Climate Accord, being, you know, Houston oil and gas companies. A lot of those oil and gas companies are trying to slow down the transition to a, a cleaner energy economy. So why are you back in Paris, supporting the Paris Climate Accord that the U.S. is now trying to walk out of? Well, number one, it's, it's the right thing to do. Um, that's, that's, that's number one. Number two, um, um, and number two, we all want to leave a, a world better than the world that we inherited, okay? And so that's important. You can't, the science is real. Uh, we do need to make changes. Um, and coming from Houston, the energy capital of the world, you know, we recognize that uh, you can't just continue to do things the same old way and expect something different. That's not going to take place. Um, and so it's, it's, it's in all of our best interests. And quite frankly, when you look at renewable energy and solar, there are more jobs created in that arena than in the old traditional arena. 
So um, it's, 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 and then when we look at the fact that we are all trying to build a more resilient city, what we want in the city of Houston, we want a stronger, more resilient city. And I don't think there's a better place to be able to make the argument that you can be the energy capital of the world and you can also place a great deal of emphasis on, on recognizing that there's climate change and looking at alternatives and making your city stronger and resilient. And the, the, the two don't necessarily have to be at odds with one another. And that's what we're trying to demonstrate in the city of Houston. Mayor Suarez, a lot of your party Republicans are doubting Paris, trying to pull out of Paris. Where are you on Paris and how is it relevant to Miami? I'm I'm very much in favor of of being a completely energy independent uh, city. I I think that uh, I think that we're going there irrespective of what anyone believes. And the reason why is because before it used to be uh, sort of an existential environmental argument, and I think now it's becoming an economic argument. I mean, you have a situation where um, it, it's the the largest power plant in the universe is the sun or in the solar system is the sun. And so, you know, our ability to harness that power is becoming so inexpensive that it would be foolish for people not to not to do it. You know, and, and by the way, not only that, but I supported a, a program um, in Miami called the PACE program, which allows you to do energy efficient right. retrofits to your home and put it in your tax bill. And it pays for itself. So you you have you put solar panels on your home. We're a very sunny city, obviously. So you know I, I can't speak for every city in the United States, but you put solar panels <laughs> on your home, and you are you are almost essentially off the grid. And that's irrespective of the fact that there's no battery capacity right now. I mean, once battery technology uh, you know comes on board and you can store energy in your home. I mean, it's game over. I would not be investing in gasoline companies or oil companies. I, I, I wouldn't. I would not advise anybody to, to invest any money, with all due respect, to, to, to my mayor. I, I just think it's 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 not even about it's not even about at this point, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, however you want to look at it. It just so happens that it's a great environmental argument, but the economics of it are so dramatic that. I, I, I really feel that. And, and so I think it's a beneficial thing because obviously um, we as a city and I think as a country and as a world want to be harnessing energy that is renewable and harnessing energy that is not going to negatively impact our, our ability to live. So it, it, we're, we're trending in the right direction, and, um, and I, I'm in favor of it, of course. We're talking about climate change in America's cities at Climate One. I'm Greg Dalton. My guests are Sylvester Turner, mayor of Houston, Francis Suarez, mayor of Miami, and Steve Benjamin, mayor of Columbia, South Carolina. Let's go to our audience questions. Welcome to Climate One. I'm David Capelli. I actually am from Miami-Dade. Uh, I serve the county mayor, Carlos Jimenez, on his Board of Millennials Policy Board. Um, I wanted to ask each each of the mayors here, how are you engaging and working with diverse millennials on these poignant issues so that we have more diversity and actually solving these problems for the most vulnerable populations in each of your cities? We'd like to tackle that first. Uh, Mayor Suarez. I'll start. Uh, I, I was actually invited by the conference a couple of weeks ago to to speak on a millennial mayor's panel. So I didn't realize that I was still a millennial. Uh, I'm 40, so I don't know. I think I'm I'm on the cusp, <laughs> but uh, but but and, and I think everybody on my staff is a millennial, uh, on my mayor staff, and I, I think, you know, uh, I, I forget who was saying it. Um, you know, technology and the the knowledge based economy is is the, is sort of the macro economy of of where we are uh, uh, right now. And so, as a city, we are in a global competition for um, survival in that, that reality. And so I think, uh, you know, as mayors, we have a, we have a duty uh, to pay attention to all the different segments of our society. I think you get a tremendous amount of wealth of knowledge and energy and ideas from the millennial generation. And so um, I've probably taken a little bit of heat as mayor because all my entire staff is, is millennials, essentially. But uh, but but the truth of the matter is uh, uh, they're very it's a very hardworking, um, idea driven, uh, passionate um, generation. So um, it, it certainly inures to my citizens benefit. Um, and, and so that interaction is, is, is daily for me. 
Mayor uh, Turner? Yeah, I think it's important you have to include millennials at the, at the table of decision making. Um, and I know when I, when I ran for office, my daughter, who's 30 years old, and said, Dad, when you become mayor, um, don't forget about us. You know, uh, you can't talk about building a city for the future if the future is not sitting at the table today. And uh, I take that very seriously. And so uh, part of what I've done, a significant part, is to place millennials at the table of decision making so that they can advocate and include their ideas. And again, you know, what I say to people is that uh, from an age wise, I may be a little bit older than Mayor Suarez. <laughs> Uh, but that doesn't mean. Much wiser, though. But that Much doesn't wiser. mean that you can't, you don't have ideas that can relate and, and be a part of the millennial <laughs> generation. So, um, but you have to include people. You can be diverse, but diversity doesn't necessarily mean in terms of ethnicity or language or religion. Okay, right. so diversity is in come in many different forms, and you have to include that diversity at the table of decision making so that they can advocate for themselves. Yep. Let's go to our next question. Welcome to Climate <clears throat> One. Uh, so this question is for Mayor Benjamin, although given Mayor Turner's comment on 100% clean energy tonight, I invite all the mayors to respond. Um, Columbia recently became the first city in South Carolina to commit to 100% clean energy uh, by 2036. Why was it important for Columbia to make this commitment, and what message would you share with mayors across the country as to why their city should join Columbia in making a commitment uh, and adjust an equitable transition to 100% clean energy. You know, we, we relish the idea of being um, the state capital in a state where people <laughs> don't expect a lot of progressive thought. Um, so whether it's banning bump stocks or being the first state to ban texting while city uh, ban texting while driving, or making this commitment to 100% clean energy, uh, it's amazing we, when we stretch in, in this this it was, it was with a blueberry in this in this oh. tomato soup. It's amazing how other cities then begin to follow. We have to, we have to model the type of behavior that we know that we ought to expect for all other cities to follow. And uh, um, um, both of my colleagues here are, are right on point. If America's cities lead, and we lead our metropolitan economies, and we do it together, and we lead not just as the municipal corporations that we are, but recognizing that these goals are meant to be citywide goals, that, that, that we're doing this in partnership with our, our, our for-profit and non-profit partners and, and public agencies, that working together with some of our wonderful institutions like the Sierra Club and, 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 and others, we can do this, and we can do this, and it won't be driven by, by, by bad policymaking of one administration or another, that together that America's citizens can help change the world, indeed. And we're going to keep doing it. Greg Dalton has been talking about the challenges of steering America's cities into the future with the mayors of three cities that have been hit hard by climate change. Francis Suarez is the mayor of Miami, Florida. Steve Benjamin is mayor of Columbia, South Carolina. And Sylvester Turner is mayor of Houston, Texas. To hear all our Climate One conversations, subscribe to our podcast at our website, climateone.org, where you'll also find photos, video clips, and more. If you like the program, please let us know by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And join us next time for another conversation about America's energy, economy, and environment. Climate One is a project of the Commonwealth Club of California. Kelly Pennington directs our audience engagement. Carlos Manuel and Tyler Reed are producers. The audio engineer is Mark Kirshner. Annie Chelsea and Devin Strolovich edit the show. The Commonwealth Club CEO is Dr. Gloria Duffy. Climate One is produced in association with KQED Public Radio.